Um, it was uh, it's a pleasure to be asked to come and preach here. It's good. It's been good to get to know Paul over the last year since you guys have come into the PCA. It's been fun to meet a number of these guys, these pastors that um, that came in with Paul. Um, and obviously, the first thing that you notice when you meet Paul is just how hip he is, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. He's got like the hip thing here, whatever that's called. And uh, he's got the hip, the hip named church, Missio Day. It's really <laughs> kind of the hip thing and the way he dresses and all that. And so I'm kind of like an old man in a young man's body. And he's like a young man in a slightly older man's body. <laughs> not old, just slightly older than me. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to offend. I'm just here to mock a little bit. Um, <laughs> And uh, anyway, I was, my, my, my thought was, man, he might be the one who needs to be working with the college students, the hip guy with the thing. Anyway, um, but as I got to know him a little bit, uh, I really, really enjoyed getting to know Paul. And uh, he's thoughtful, he's intentional, he's an encourager, um, and you guys are just really blessed to have him. So it's kind of an honor to be here with you guys today and just see his his scene and meet you and um, see where he's coming from. So uh, so I'm also really thankful for the job that God has given me up at Northwestern. It is a blast. I mean, I work with 18 to 22-year-olds, and uh, so part of the fun thing about this job is any given day, you have no idea what sort of conversations you're going to have, like what's going to come up in the next topic that you have with students. So um, just to give you a little bit of my world, I'm going to tell just a couple stories one of them will launch us into our sermon text for this morning. But a couple, I guess about a year ago, I was in this spiritual discussion group. I was leading a spiritual discussion group in the basement of a fraternity house. So there were probably 10 or 12 guys um, and their friends, their girls there too. And I was the only Christian at the table. So it was atheist, Jewish, uh, Mormon, uh, pretty militant atheist, uh, you know, kind of former Catholic, like all over the map. Um, and basically, we would just uh, have lunch together for an hour, and we would ask a question, and uh, then we would all kind of jump in from our own faith perspectives um, and talk about it. And I always had the chance to share the gospel at every one of these lunches at some point. So it was like, you know, what's the main problem with the world, or how are we truly free? And then everybody just kind of jumps in and uh, says what they think. So one time, this girl comes, a uh, friend of someone there, and um, she sat in and listened, and then she came back the next week, and uh, I said, hey, it's great to see you again. Um, glad you could join us. Why? Curious, why'd you decide to come back again? And she, she said, well, I've never met a Christian besides my grandma's friends back home. And what she was saying without saying it was, you are so odd and so strange. Like, no one believes this stuff anymore. I just had to come back and see if you were for real. Like she had never met a living, breathing Christian um, growing up or in her time at Northwestern so far. Um, here's another one. A new kid walked into our large group meeting. Uh, so every Tuesday night, we start at 9 o'clock. Um, every Tuesday, old man in a young man's body. Every, every, every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, we have a large group meeting. It's similar to a stripped-down kind of church service. We sing a few songs. I preach. Um, and so this kid comes with a friend. He's brand new. He's never been to church. He's never opened a Bible in his life. He grew up in Seoul, Korea. Um, and, uh, and so as I do when I preach, you know, I'm asking the students, probably like I'll ask you at some point this morning, kind of rhetorical questions just to get you thinking, right? Um, so how might Jesus' words here apply to you? Or what is our, how does our culture tend to answer these questions, right? I'm just saying these things to get them thinking. 
So this kid's never been to any sort of religious service or church. So he doesn't know how it works. He doesn't know they're rhetorical. So he's sitting right here, and he's answering every one of my questions throughout the sermon. And it doesn't just happen the first week. It happens every single time for the rest of the year. So I'm half preaching, half having a conversation um, for half an hour every Tuesday night. Um, But it turns out that he is deeply spiritually thirsty. So I ask him, uh, hey, how about we get together and read the Bible once a week together? He says, great, I'm in. He starts coming to church with us at Grace North Shore, your sister church up in Winnetka. And eight weeks after he opened the Bible for the very first time, uh, he committed his life to Christ. Um, Jesus just saved this kid out of nowhere. Uh, He's still answering my questions, though, in (laughs) sermons. Um, So when he gets back from Korea at the end of the summer, we're going to baptize him up at Grace. Um, And it'll it'll be a joy. All right, last one. This will launch us into our text. Uh, I was talking with some Northwestern students. This time it was a group of Christian students kind of involved in our ministry. We're sitting around a campfire, and we were talking about how Jesus shows up in culture, in pop culture, right? So we're kind of naming all the famous, like, Jesus influences in songs and movies and stuff like this. And eventually Kanye West's song, Jesus Walks, comes up. Okay, so we uh, decide to read a few of the lyrics. I'm going to share some of those lyrics with you now. This is Kanye West talking about Jesus. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way that school needs teachers, the way Kathy Lee needs Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. So here go my single dog. Radio needs this. They say you can rap about anything for Jesus. That means gun, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God... My record won't get played. Kanye continues, well, let let this take away from my spins, which will probably take away from my ends, and then I hope this takes away from my sins and brings the day I'm dreaming about. The next time I'm in the club, everybody's screaming out, Jesus walks. Jesus walks with me, okay? So this is Kanye giving us his theology about Jesus. Now, me and some of the students for like the next 20 minutes tried to figure out what in the world he's talking about. And it turns out to be pretty difficult to figure out what he's talking about. And I think we digress from there. But this is what hit me. This is what hit me in that conversation and the conversation I had with this girl who had never met a living, breathing Christian before. And in this kid who grew up in Korea and has never been to church, never opened the Bible. Um, is that if you were to give students at Northwestern a bucket and it was labeled Jesus... Um, and tell them to fill it with what they knew about him. Where would the stuff come from that goes into the bucket? Like, where are they getting their ideas about Jesus? How much of that bucket would be filled with little bits and pieces they just hear around, right? Like from a Kanye West song or a K-Love song, whatever. Um, How much of it would be filled with little things their professors say in class or maybe an article their friends sent them on Facebook or something a friend said to them years ago, Um, something they read in a magazine? What about you? What about me? Where do we get our ideas about Jesus? How do we fill that bucket labeled Jesus? Where does the stuff come from? Um, Because the deal is everybody's heard about Jesus. I mean, even that girl who has never met a living, breathing Christian, she knew who Jesus was. Everybody has heard of Jesus. Um, We're all either believing in him or ignoring him or doubting him or trusting him. But who exactly are we believing in or doubting or rejecting or trusting? 
right? Who is Jesus? We've all heard of him, but have we encountered the real Jesus? Where are we getting these ideas? So um, A.W. Tozer, a pastor and author in the last century, began one of his books with this line. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's not our reputation. It's not our influence. It's not our resume, our money, um, the good things we contribute to the world. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus, how you fill up that bucket labeled Jesus. And so with that in mind, uh, I got two weeks with you guys. So what I want to do is uh, turn to the gospel of John. And the reason is uh, John records more self-identification of Jesus than any other book in the Bible. John doesn't give us Jesus according to culture or Jesus according to academia or Jesus according to our friends or even Jesus according to hip hop. John gives us Jesus according to Jesus. This is him saying who he is and he's saying this is who I am and this is why it's crucial that you know me and you follow me and you trust me. He, John records a number of claims that Jesus makes about himself what he came to do, who he is. There's seven different times, uh, eight, depending on how you count, um, that Jesus makes a statement in John that begins with the words, I am. So he says, um, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Uh, I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. So we only have two weeks, so we're going to snag two of them. But uh, you could look at all of them and glean crucial things about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Um, knowing the real Jesus, trusting him, the most important thing about us. So uh, the one that we're going to consider today, Jesus according to Jesus, is I am the door. So if you want to turn over to John 10, uh, we're going to read just the first 10 verses together. I'll read it out loud from the ESV. You guys can follow along as I read. So this is John 10, uh, 1 through 10. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus began, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. So in chapter 10, Jesus tells us a story, a parable in the first five verses of this chapter. He tells a story of a common agrarian scene in the ancient Near East. Uh, a shepherd looks after his sheep. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. There are those that want to steal the sheep, but the shepherd protects them. Probably happened every single day in Jesus' time. It still happens today all over the world. Jesus finishes his story, 
and he looks at the disciples, and I love this about the disciples. I, I resonate with this, with the disciples. Uh, he looks, uh, Jesus looks at them and says, ah, and they look back and say, we have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, we don't get that. Is that all you want to say? So uh, as he regularly has to do with them, Jesus explains his parable so that they can catch up and figure out what in the world's going on. So after uh, the parable in verses one through five, um, our expectation is that Jesus, when Jesus explains this parable, he's going to say, I am the shepherd, right? That, that scene that I just described, I'm that shepherd, I'm that good shepherd. It's a lovely claim. It's a rich claim. The sheep know his voice like no other. They follow him. He leads them. This would definitely have been the expectation uh, for the disciples um, because they were all good Jewish boys who had been brought up steeped in the Old Testament. They knew their scriptures. And shepherd imagery is central to the whole Old Testament. Um, Their kings, their priests, their prophets, their leaders were all referred to as shepherds of God's people. God had been preparing his people for centuries, for millennia, for the arrival of their true shepherd, right? Um, and Jesus does make this claim. It's the very next thing in verse 11 that we didn't read. After our passage, he goes on to say, I am that good shepherd. Uh, But he doesn't say it first, which I find fascinating. When he explains this parable to his disciples, the first thing he says is, I am a door, not what we're looking for. Now, if I'm a disciple listening to this, my first thought is, well, great, now I need an explanation from the explanation. Um, It's a surprising claim. It's a confusing claim. This is Jesus giving us information about himself, naming something central about who he is, Uh, something that we need. He wants us to encounter the real Jesus, and he tells us he's a door. What could this possibly mean? Uh, This one's a bit of a stumper. I mean, some of them kind of make sense. I'm the bread of life makes enough sense. I'm the resurrection of life. We at least see where he's going but I'm the door. How is that claim crucial to your life this morning, tomorrow morning, next month? Why does it matter in your identity that Jesus is a door? Well, over the past six years living in Chicago, uh, I have become more and more of a Bulls fan. I grew up watching Jordan, so I've always been a Bulls fan. I grew up in Missouri, so not far kind of a Bulls fan growing up. Uh, But last year, I had the chance to go to my very first Bulls game ever at the United Center. And the reason I could go was because of Mike James. Now, um, I assume there's some Bulls fans in the room. Are there any anybody who know who Mike James is? Okay, well, even if you're a, a deep, lifelong Bulls fan, you'd be forgiven for not knowing the name Mike James. He was a player on the team for only one year, He was the 15th guy at the end of the bench who only played seven minutes a game uh, when everybody else got tired. But this is why he's important for my story. It turns out his former college roommate is my dad's new surgery partner at the hospital. So for one preseason game last year, uh, my family got Mike James's family tickets, which was awesome. we, uh, it, it wasn't so much the game itself. It was just a preseason game against the, Clip, or against the Pacers. But um, it was the access that was so cool. So I felt like a total insider. So you walk up to the ticket window at the United Center, um, and you say, 
Mike James seats, please. And they hand you like seven tickets. Uh, and then you go in and you have these like lower level seats, um, really nice court side right there. You can see the whole game. You see how big these guys are. And then after the game, you get this special pass to go meet the players and their families and stuff. And so you get to see the Bulls players after the game, say hi, nice game and all that. Um, and I could do all of this because I could claim another person's name instead of my own. Now, walking up to the ticket window at the United Center and you say, Luke Miedema's tickets, please, you get blank stares. They say, sorry, pal, get in line with the rest of everybody else. But if you say Mike James' tickets, please, well, now that name opens doors that my name will never open. Jesus is saying he is our door. And what he's saying is that he offers us insider access that would otherwise be totally unavailable to us. Uh, Christianity can be summed up this way. Jesus Christ offers his own name to us so that we can receive benefits and the access based on his success, based on what he has achieved. We enter doors that would otherwise never be opened to us. So in this passage, by naming himself our door, Jesus offers the ultimate insider access to you. Uh, this is not just access given by the 15th best player on the Bulls for a preseason game against the Pacers, okay? This is the God of creation who made everything and holds all, thing in, all things in his hands and sustains all life. And he is ushering you into a relationship with himself, allowing you access into his family, not as his servant or his slave, but as his son and as his daughter. It's insider access that only his name can give you. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. Jesus gives us access. So in the remainder of our time this morning, I want to ask just one simple question from this passage. What do we gain access to with Jesus as our door? What do we get when we get Jesus? He says, this is me telling you who I am. I'm your door. How does that change our life? What does that give us? So as we read the whole Bible, we realize there are many, many, many things we get from Jesus. The gospel is rich in its abundant promises to us. But in this passage, the, the gospel writer John points us primarily to two things, two benefits, two things that we get access to when Jesus is our door. Uh, first, we're going to see Jesus is the door to safety, and next, that Jesus is the door to abundant life. So look again with me at verses 7 and 8. I'm sorry, 7 through 10. We'll just read all 7, seven through 10, his explanation here. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, so... Um, I'm sure you guys are all caught up on the ancient Near Eastern shepherding practices, but in case there's a couple people who've fallen through the cracks, this is how things worked. Uh, just a little background. Oftentimes, the way they built these sheep pens, these sheep folds, is there would be a house on either side uh, that would serve as two of the walls. They would build a big fence in the back and then a partial fence in the front, and there would be an opening um, where there's a gate and the sheep could go in and out. So multiple families would keep all their sheep in the same pen at night to keep them safe. And then in the morning, just like Jesus described, the shepherd would come and just call to his sheep 
and only his sheep would leave and follow him. The others would know not to follow him. They'd heard his voice. And for protection, um, oftentimes, we know this from, uh, from history, that the, the shepherd himself would lay across that opening in the, in the sheepfold opening, that opening door. Um, and he would lay across that opening and literally be the door, literally be the gate um, to keep people from coming in and out and for the sheep to leave. Jesus says, I'm that door. He's saying, I am the literal gate that protects you from robbers and thieves that would sneak in and steal you away, that would steal your joy and your life and your fulfillment. I am your safety and your protection from the thieves of life. Okay, so who are these thieves of life? Who's out to steal our joy and steal our meaning and our identity? Um, What in your life steals joy? This is where my buddy would be answering out loud for everybody. Okay, you guys just think about it though. Um, What steals your life? What drains you? What empties you? Uh, Our initial impulse is to answer those kinds of questions with the circumstances of our life. You want to know what drains me? How about a kid up at 3 a.m. for three weeks in a row? I mean, that drains me. Like, that steals life. How about the fight, this ongoing, perpetual, relational, like, frustration that I have with my coworker or my friend or my spouse or my child or my family? Uh, What sucks the energy from my life? How about financial difficulties at home? the office pressure, the stress, the uncertainty of our future. See, the circumstances of our life is how we tend to answer this question. Those are the thieves, the robbers, the culprits. Okay, but with Jesus, with sensitivity and gentleness, he actually asks us to drill a bit deeper than the circumstances of our life. Um, Deeper than uh, just the things that we have to deal with day in and day out to identify our true joy thieves and soul robbers. So in verse eight, he says, all those who come before me are the thieves and the robbers. Jesus names the real thieves for us. He points them out. He says, all those who came before me, those guys. He says, it's all those who came before him and all those who have come and will come with some sort of different salvation plan for your life than the one Jesus offers. All those who came before and after with a different strategy to justify your existence, to give you meaning, to give you hope and joy. All those who have come with a different agenda for you to be reconciled to God. Now, in his immediate view, he's likely talking about the religious leaders of of his day, the scribes, the Pharisees. Uh, At one point, he says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourself do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. See, these religious leaders, they added rules upon rules to the Old Testament. I mean, there's already like 643 of them in the Old Testament. They decided they needed about another thousand just to like protect the first 640, right? I mean, they just add burden after burden to people, but they themselves don't lift a finger. Um, They claim to lead people to God, but really they just handed them a crushing load of duty and ought. They were stealing joy in life. They were preaching a different salvation plan than the one Jesus had come to offer. They were saying, if you can keep the rules good enough, if if your moral virtue can be high enough, can go above the bar, that's your access to God. That's how you get reconciled to him. It's a different plan than the one Jesus has come with, and it's life-stealing. They're thieves. They're the robbers. 
They're offering an alternate doorway to God. It's not a real doorway. It doesn't exist, but they're offering it. And that's why it steals joy. Their message was essentially perform to belong. You want to get in the family of God? Earn it. Perform. Be good. Do the right things. Perform to belong. And Jesus says, it's a, it's a thief. It'll steal your life. Now, this is instructive for us, not because we're necessarily tempted to follow those same laws or the whole structure that they had built around them. Um, but we are tempted constantly to buy into their central message, right? Perform to belong. What gives you worth? What gives you meaning? What gives you identity? What gives you joy? Performance. You perform to belong. I perform to belong. We're constantly tempted to base our value uh, to others, our standing with God, on our output, our resume, our performance. So Jesus is saying the true thieves of life, they're not primarily our circumstances, but it's all the ways that we try to perform to belong. It's exhausting and it won't work. It's offered to you as a door. It's not a real door. It's a wall. So if real soul rest, real meaning uh, and salvation are dependent in any way on our own resume, our own output, our own performance, well, we're on some seriously shaky ground. Um, and this is why only Jesus can offer, offer safety from those thieves that are out to steal, kill, and destroy. Only King Jesus can offer us protection from the false gospel of perform to belong um, that has come to steal our hope in life. Because in Jesus, we have a whole new kind of security, a whole new kind of safety. His gospel is the only salvation plan that doesn't place the weight of our existence on anything that we have to achieve, that we have to do. He was successful for us. He made the team for us, right? He's not only the 15th best player, he's the star of every NBA team ever, right? And it's his name that gets applied to us. He did it all, and we walk through the doors on the basis of his work, not our work. And that's the safety that he offers you. Because once you've walked through that door on the basis of Jesus' name, you can never be removed from that building, never be removed from his home, right? You did nothing to get in. You can do nothing to get out. It's on the basis of his work and his grace that we have total security in Jesus. Safety is what you get when you get Jesus. It's eternal security. Okay, but notice that Jesus doesn't merely gather his sheep into the pen, huddle them up, and keep them safe forever, right? Christianity is not a... Uh, safety club. It's not primarily meant to keep you safe and secure in this world. It's meant to keep you safe and secure forever, but not necessarily in this world. In verse 9, Jesus brings his sheep into the pen, and then he sends them out again to green pastures. So Christianity is not ultimately about staying as safe as we can. In fact, it's exactly because of the deep safety that we have forever that Jesus can send us into risk and send us into life and send us on a mission in his name now in this world. And the way Jesus talks about that in this passage is abundant life. Uh, in verse 10, he tells us that, we, that he has come so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Now, that's, this is a great promise. This is, this is one of those promises like there's a few promises in the Bible that I've over the years kind of, they're just handholds for me, you know, and like life gets crazy. There's just a few I hold on to. Um, this is one of them. Like he has come 
not so that he can take from you and that you can have less, but you can have more joy, more freedom, more abundance. He is not a, he, he wants to give and he gives generously. Now, what does it mean to have abundant life according to Jesus? The Bible talks about life in Jesus in a number of ways. One way it talks about it is freedom. Galatians 5 says, um, it's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And I think understanding freedom helps us gain some insight into what Jesus is talking about when he offers us abundant life. Um, Okay, so I like to ride bikes. I'm a cyclist. uh, And uh, I do the whole thing, man. Like I put on the goofy outfit, you know, like the tight shorts and the funny colored clothes and all that. And like go out riding on the North Shore. Um, Sometimes I do this with other people. We all put on our goofy outfits together and we try to go as fast as we can. Um, So a friend of mine, his name's Jason. He's actually the associate pastor up at Grace where we go to church. Uh, He's also a cyclist. He also wears the goofy outfit. And so one day he invited me to go on a ride with his group, the guys that he normally rides with. I said, great, yeah, we're pals. I'll go ride with your pals. Um, But here's the problem. Jason is fast. I mean, I'm like kind of fast. I'm like here. Jason is like one of the fastest guys on the whole North Shore, okay? And so he rides with the fastest guys on the North Shore. So I get into this group, and I don't quite know what I've signed up for. And we start heading out of Evanston, and we're just clipping along. And I'm like, my goodness. Like, I'm doing, I'm, a, I'm, 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 the cyclists call it in the red. I mean, I'm like going as hard as I can. I'm past threshold, okay? And so I'm just hanging on to the back of this group, doing the best that I can. And it turns out that was just their kind of getting out of town speed, you know? Like, they were just getting things warmed up. And I'm in the back just, like, sweating and huffing. And, um, and so about two miles out of town, someone in the front puts the hammer down, and poof, they're gone. Like, I don't have a chance. I mean, they are gone. And somewhere far off in the distance, I see my friend, Jason, leading the whole pack as they tear off away from me. Um, and so I just go on a nice ride by myself, right? Which is fine. Like, I love riding bikes. It's fine. And I spend the rest of the afternoon riding my bike, come back home, and it's all good. But here's the question. Here's the question. Was I free on that ride? Was I free? When you think about freedom and human freedom, on that bicycle ride, was I free? Well, yes and no, okay? I was free in one sense to kind of do whatever I want right? If I wanted to turn left, I could turn left. If I wanted to turn around and go get a cup of coffee instead of ride my bike that day, I could do that. If I wanted to stop, slow down, speed up, I could do that. Um, There was nothing stopping me from sort of making those surface level decisions. I was free. I wasn't impaired. I had autonomy. But in a much deeper way, I was totally not free on that ride. I was not free to put the hammer down and start on a sprint when we're already going 25 miles an hour. We're already going 25 miles an hour. And then they took off. I didn't have that sort of freedom, that deep freedom. I didn't have that capability, that maturity that these guys have built up over years and years of cycling. Um, Freedom in the gospel is that deeper kind of freedom, okay? It's the freedom of abundance. It's the freedom of maturity and capacity and ability to live in God's world as he's called us to live in it. It's not the cheap kind of freedom where we just do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. Ah, I feel like turning around getting a cup of coffee. That's not the kind of freedom that Jesus has set us free into. He has set us free into a deep freedom, a transformative freedom. It's freedom um, means having the maturity to thrive in God's world as he made it. 
um, under his good reign in his kingdom. Freedom is obedience. It sounds like they're opposites. In the gospel, they're not. Freedom is the capacity to actually live out what God's called us to do. It's the capacity to hit the hammer when you're already going 25. Um, Freedom is spiritual health. It's the ability to be honest when there's no advantage to being honest. A life of integrity, a life of purity. Uh, Freedom is the ability to laugh at ourselves, to reveal our own mistakes, because we know we don't get our identity from how well we perform, but from the name that's been applied to us already. Freedom is being filled with joy that's not dependent on today's circumstances, but it's rooted in a well of life that runs far deeper than any of the chaotic circumstances in our life. Jesus says, I'm your door to abundant life. I'm your your door to deep freedom. I'm your door to a transformative freedom that will change you and will make you able to live in my world as I've called you to live in my world. I don't give, Jesus is saying, I don't give you every little whim, every little thing you think you want when when you think you want it. Not that cheap kind of freedom, deep freedom. He intends to transform you. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my go-to guys, puts it this way. He's got this great image. C.S. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, uh, and so you're not surprised. But presently, He starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt abominably, as C.S. Lewis would say, and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Elsewhere, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The moment you put yourself in my hands, he's talking from God's perspective, that's what you're in for. Nothing less or other than that. Whatever suffering it may cost you in this earthly life, whatever it costs me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you're literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you. As he said, he's well pleased with me. This I can do and I will do, but I won't do anything less. See, that's abundant life. That might be far more than some of us signed up for when we first signed on with Jesus, but that's his plan. He will complete what he started in you, and his vision for your life is even more abundant than your own vision for your life, than your own dreams and wants and wishes. He will finish what he starts. This is Jesus according to Jesus. It's a door into safety. It's a door into abundant life on the basis of his name and not yours. The real Jesus, the real Jesus is so much more fascinating, so much more confusing and mysterious and hopeful and life-giving than whatever kind of version of Jesus gets churned out in the culture. Have you encountered the real one? Have you met this guy, right? The guy who's telling you who he is in the gospel of John. This is the real Jesus. Let's close in prayer and continue our worship service. Heavenly Father, um, we are deeply grateful that you sent your one and only son into this world uh, to be needy, to be um, poor, to be homeless, uh, 
to be abandoned, to be killed, and eventually to rise to new life and to reign as king. Um, You did this so that you could open a door into your family. There wasn't a door before, and now there is because of your grace and mercy to us. His name is Jesus, and I pray that each of us here um, would walk through that door with our whole hope and life on the name of Jesus. Thank you for the access you give us to yourself. Thank you for the benefits of your gospel, for the riches and the generosity that you've given us in your son. Uh, Thank you for our time together this morning and your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.